We're exploring in this particular season the Old Testament character of Joseph and what the story of God's working with him has to say about the subject of the making of a leader, how leaders get formed. In our first installment in this series, I talked about the fact that leaders are more often made than they are born. They don't start out all ready to lead. In spite of the myth of natural born leadership, almost every great leader is somebody that has to be refined along the way. In our second installment, we talked about the fact that leaders are frequently shaped through suffering and adversity. And that if you really study the lives of great leaders, almost all of them have been in some way humbled, increased in their dependence upon God, stretched in their compassion for other people through experiences of struggle and suffering. Today I want to think with you about a third quality of leadership that I suggest is very much needed in our time. And if it's not obvious from just the the, uh, turning of events in our national political scene today, Um, then it must be clear to you as you move through your workplace, as you uh, enter into the civic organizations of which you're a part, as you move uh, through the school systems, as you encounter your social circles, that there's always a need for leaders. There's always a need for people of of strong character, of clear vision, of of bold action. And, And now more than ever, I think God calls you and me to not leave that job to other people. But, but to seek to discern how we might more effectively uh, exercise benevolent influence in our various circles. Uh, frequently today, however, I, I think we find ourselves challenged because we are so often uh, beset with so many dire predicaments and uh, difficult challenges and uh, such overwhelming kinds of problems that it tends to to weaken our resolve, it tends to dim our vision, and our imagination doesn't seem up to the task. In our families, in our churches, we sometimes get stuck in certain sort of ways of doing things. In our businesses and our outside engagements, we become impressed with all of the reasons why things can't be done or with the way things always have been. And we forget that God is always coming to us from the future. Let me just say that again so we remember this. God God has been active in the past, he's here in the present, but he's always coming to us from the future. God is, is approaching us from that place of undiscovered potential. He's coming to us from that place of what he yet plans to do, the place of the still possible. And that is why one of the most consistent messages of the Bible as you study the pattern of leadership in the scriptures is that leaders care for dreams. They are, in a sense, what I will call today dream managers. They're stewards of the visions that God gives to them and of the visions that God uh, gives to other people as well. And in caring for those visions, they ascend to a place of even greater influence than they could if their primary capacity to see was simply informed by the circumstances around them at a given moment. Now, I want to invite you to think about this with me today in the lens, again, of the story of Joseph. If you know that the story of Joseph, then you know that 
as a young man, a boy of only 17, Joseph was given himself two particular dreams. And the dreams are of a future where Joseph is going to be a person of massive influence. Now, this, you may recall, is really quite extraordinary given the fact that he's just a kid at this particular point in a very rural part of the world, uh, out of the way of any kind of major comings and goings, uh, uh, not in the center of commerce or politics or anything like that. But in these dreams, Joseph sees these sheaves of wheat uh, that he believes represent his brothers, and he is the 11th uh, in this line of brothers, and these sheaves of wheat are bowing down to Joseph. In another dream, Joseph is given a vision of um, the sun and the moon and the stars all, once again, bowing down to him. And in this particular dream, this could mean uh, not only his brothers, but his mother and his father, or it could mean the whole of the world, in a sense, paying homage to him. And because we know the end of the story, we've, most of us who have read the story of Joseph are aware that, that these dreams actually come true that the remarkable reality is that as unlikely as it seems, this Hebrew child will one day be right in the center of power. He's going to become the minister or the head of commerce and agriculture for the greatest nation of the ancient world at that time at a moment of regional famine. This 11th born kid is going to rise to one of the most important positions of influence in the ancient world and will oversee a food storage and a food distribution um, enterprise that will feed millions of people who would otherwise probably have starved to death, uh, but for the capacity of, of Joseph to lead in this critical moment. And the fulfillment of that dream is not just an interesting historical footnote, because uh, I really want to impress this on you. The fulfillment of that dream will preserve the family of Joseph himself, his brothers, his mom and dad, uh, it will, it will re result in the fact that that family will go on to become the, the nation of Israel that will give birth to Jesus Christ, that will result in the rise of Christianity, that, that will, will ripple on to lead to the betterment of millions upon millions of lives as the Christian worldview establishes Western civilization. The, the fulfillment of that dream will result in the fact that you and I are having this conversation today, are even here in this cultural context. It's all because of the dream God gave to Joseph and his willingness to keep pursuing its fulfillment through thick and thin. Wow, if that's not a reason to take dreams seriously, to think about what it means to be a manager, a steward of dreams, I don't know what is. So let me just talk a little bit about the character of these dreams, if I may, today. Because there are all kinds of dreams and visions that are being peddled to us at various times and from various sources, and it's important to be thoughtful about the particular kind of dreams to which we are meant to attend. And I want to talk about the kind of dreams that God gives people. And, and that leaders care about. First of all, <clears throat> God-given dreams often depict outrageous outcomes when considered in the light of present realities. God is particularly fond of giving us dreams 
which, which just seem very much out of keeping with what appears possible in the present moment. Think of how often this happens in the Scriptures. God comes to Noah, who lives in the middle of a desert, and he says to him, gives him the vision, I want you to build me a gigantic boat. And Noah looks around him at this wilderness with hardly any water anywhere, and he just goes, what? And yet, he obeys the commandment, and it results in the saving of his whole family and the propagation of righteousness upon the earth. Or God comes to Sarah. She is an old woman. She is so far past childbearing. I mean, it's just, she, you know, she's, she's even stopped probably pulling out pictures of, his, of her grandkids. She's so far along. And yet he says to her, you're going to bear a child. And this child is going to become the, 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 the vessel through which I will bring forth the nation of Israel. And Sarah laughs at first, but dares to believe. And of course, we know this dream comes true. God comes to Moses. He says, I know you're afraid of public speaking. I know you're just out here. You, you're a criminal. You've you're, you're fl you fled for your life to the Midianite wilderness. But I'm telling you, I'm sending you back to Egypt. And you're going to stand before Pharaoh. And you're going to compel him to let my people go. It's an outrageous vision. And Moses responds to it. And God frees his people and the exodus begins and they rise and they move to the promised land. God comes to Nehemiah when he's in Persia. He's working in the White House of the Persian government and he says to him, Nehemiah, I want to take you back to Jerusalem and I'm going to have you muster all kinds of resources and you're going to rebuild the ancient city of Jerusalem to its former glory. And, and Nehemiah just sets out on the journey step by step and over time is used to promote this massive reconstruction project that restores not just the walls and the gates of it of Jerusalem but the national spirit and the moral vision and the spiritual life of ancient Israel for the next season God comes to Mary he says I know you're just a peasant girl I know you're very young you're in the armpit of the of the world you're a forgotten person but I'm telling you through your womb I am bringing forth the very savior of the world and he does. And he fulfills the vision. And then God comes to Saul, the great persecutor of Christianity, and he says, Saul, you're going to become my follower. And, and, and though you've, you, you, you've been a killer of, of, my, of, of my followers, you are going to become the greatest propagator in history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I, again, are here today in large part because the fulfillment of that dream, of that vision God gave on the Damascus Road. Friends, this is the nature of the kind of dream that God gives to people. They are outrageous visions at the start. I don't know if you've noticed that outrageous is the order of the day when it comes to, to, to the rhetoric of leaders. We are going to build the hugest wall you've ever seen. We're going to get other people to pay for it. And it's going, to get, it's going to keep us completely secure. Or on the other side, we are going to actually give free college education to every human being in America that wants it. And we're going to be able to afford that. You know, 
Leaders have learned long ago in business, in politics, in contemporary life, the power of what's called a big, hairy, audacious goal. Jim Collins calls those BHAGs. People like big, hairy, audacious goals. And they're stirred by them. In fact, Daniel Burnham, as we know, the great visioneer of the Chicago uh, urban setting once famously said, make no little plans for they have no magic to stir men's blood. In his marvelous book, The Leadership Challenge, James Coos and his partner Barry Posner write, every organization, every social movement begins with a dream. Uh, what Burnham would call a blood-stirring dream. That dream or vision becomes the force that invents the future that plows out new possibilities. Think how often that has been true. Think how important big, hairy, audacious visions are still to this day. We think of the very famous I Have a Dream speech of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That one day my children will be judged by the content of their character versus the color of their skin. And how compelling that dream became. Uh, how compelling that, forceful that dream became in American life. But listen even now to, to, to the way some well-known corporations are, are describing what they want to accomplish. Uh, let's think of the folks at Hilton. You know, what's their vision? It's to fill the earth with the light and the warmth of hospitality. Wow, they just don't want to fill hotel rooms. They want to fill the earth with the light and the warmth of hospitality. Sign me up to work for a company like that. Or, or think of the folks at Avon. And we were blessed to have here at Christ Church the, the general counsel of Avon for a long time. And their ambition is not just to sell cosmetics. It's to be the company that best understands and satisfies the product, service, and self-fulfillment needs of women globally. <laughs> We're going to be the answer to women's needs was the vision of that company. Or, or consider CVS Caremark. To improve the quality of human life is our vision. We're not just selling toothpaste, dental floss, we're improving the entire quality of human life. Or Kraft Foods, one of my favorites, to make today delicious. <laughs> wow, that's a great vision. Or another great one, Toys R Us. Their vision, their dream, to put joy in kids' hearts and a smile on parents' faces. Now, I brought my kids to Toys R Us a lot when I was a kid, and I'd watch them do the tantrums on the floor, and it didn't always work out exactly that way, right? But what a good dream. We love these dreams, these, these amazing dreams, because they are so outrageous, be, be, because they are so bold and so beautiful in light of present circumstances especially. And I can't vouch for the virtue of everything that these various companies have done, but these are the kind of audacious visions that are worth following, that leaders ought to be casting. The difference between 
the ordinary kinds of dreams, however, that are frequently cast in our time, and, and the dreams that are trending in the directions I've just described, is that the ordinary sorts of dreams that are being peddled these days are very often ones that are focused on personal comfort. Uh, they're, they're about reducing my stress. They're about stabilizing my little world. They're about um, satisfying my consumer wants. And not to say that these aren't understandable desires. Um, I have them. You've got them. But, but the kind of dreams that God lays on people's hearts are closer to the larger corporate visions I described earlier because they're not only outrageous. God-given dreams are almost always aimed at blessing others. They're almost always aimed at extending flourishing to larger and larger circles of people. That's God's heart. And that's what he implants in a leader's heart. So the dream that God gives to Joseph is not just really about you know, getting his brothers to bow down to him. The, the real extension of that dream is that God wants to put Joseph in a place where he can feed millions of people in a time of, of tremendous need. It's, it's a dream that leads to flourishing. Now, I've also noticed that God's uh, dreams, that God-given dreams, are, are dreams in which God's power is needed to fulfill them. Uh, if God gives you a dream, there's going to be, in many cases, almost a weakening in the knees that comes with that. Hey, because you're going to be aware that this is so audacious, so outrageous, um, it, it aims to, to be such a blessing that you're going to feel in yourself a sense, I don't think I can do this. I don't know how I'm going to bring that to pass. In that sense, the kind of dreams that God gives are not just BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. They're God-sized goals. They're GSGs. And those who have such visions are clear that unless the Lord's involved, we're sunk. David had dreams. Uh, King David of Israel. And one of the, the things he says in Psalm 127 in verse 1 is, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Unless God is in this thing, uh, we're not going to get to where we need to go. Many leaders uh, will feel. They'll say, we, we've no, we know we have to work hard at this. We've got to give this effort, our absolute effort. But if God is not work here, we'll never see this vision realized. I just love how clear the Apostle Paul became about this. You know, Paul, as you know, worked very, very hard. He had been given the dream of extending the gospel to the Gentiles to reach the, the whole known world at that point with the Christian faith. And he relentlessly labored to, to, to sow the seed of the gospel, to plant churches. He walked untold miles, marathon after marathon after marathon to do this work. Uh, under fierce pressure and persecution and imprisonment and beatings and shipwrecks and the like. But Paul never lost sight of the fact that it was not him upon whom all of this depended. In fact, he got into a, a conversation with the church at Corinth long ago because there was a great debate raging as to who was the better leader. Was it Paul who had sort of planted the church there? Or was it Apollos who came along and nurtured the development of the church? And this is how Paul responded to that particular discussion. He says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. And I quote, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants as the Lord has assigned to each his task. 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. In recent days, God has impressed that reality upon me in, in just really palpably. You know, it's not pastors, it's not committees, it's not ministry teams that make churches grow. It's God. And we have to do our work. We've got to plant, we've got to tend, we've got to nurture, but it's, it's the power of the living God. We're in the spiritual angioplasty business, I think, sometimes. I think of it that way. You know, we can get in there and sort of make a little space, but it's, it's the power of God that's the lifeblood that does the renewing of human life, that compels the, the interest. And let's pray for the power of God to be upon that individual who's being helped right now. Because God is the life giver. God is the one who makes life flourish. And, and I have a dream that our days as a church, uh, are, the greatest days of Christ's church are yet to come. And we're going to see in the years to come tens of thousands of people in our region and around the world flourishing like never before. People who would never flourish in the way God has in mind if God hadn't enlivened the people of Christ Church of Oak Brook with the dream of extending blessing, the gospel and help of various kinds, the kingdom of God to them. But it's going to be God who does this. It's going to take our faithful effort, but it will be God who brings the harvest. You know, over the course of his journey in life, Joseph came to realize this more and more. Remember at the beginning how puffed up with pride he was about what he would accomplish? When we meet him later in his story, Joseph has been profoundly humbled by his struggles. Uh, he, he has gotten to a point where his main focus in life is just trying to do well and with excellence the tasks right before him and leaving the future to God. Still trusted in the dream, but he knows that his job is being faithful uh, right with the tasks before us. And we'll explore further next week just what that looked like. But when he seemingly couldn't do anything anymore, and he was locked away in prison, and he, and, and he was languishing there, forgotten in prison, and he just focused on trying to be a good manager of the tasks given to him there, because he was elevated even there to some responsibility, um, he turned his focus to actually helping other people get clear about their dreams. He couldn't drive his own dream any further, so he just helped them work with their dreams. And you may recall, if you've read in Genesis chapter 40, how, how, how a couple of these people come to Joseph and they ask him to interpret the dreams. They've been former workers in the household of Pharaoh, and one of them has a dream uh, that Joseph interprets says is a sign that he's going to be released from prison shortly and returned to the household of Pharaoh. And Joseph says, don't forget me when you go back. Don't forget me. And the other individual has a dream. It's really a nightmare. And it really means that he's going to be held accountable for the bad things he's done. And that dream comes true as well. Well, the first guy goes back to the household of Pharaoh as Joseph has prophesied through the dream. But he forgets Joseph. Two more years go by, and Joseph just faithfully works at the tasks in front of him, like you parents are doing, like you grandparents are doing, like you business owners are doing, like you, like you stewards of civic organizations are doing, like you volunteers for nonprofit organizations are doing, 
You're working faithfully the tasks. You're praying that God will bring the harvest. And then one day, one day, Joseph hears a clanking sound. And it's the sound of keys being inserted into the door of the prison. And all of a sudden, there's a, there's a wind of fresh air that sweeps into the prison cell, and the door flies open, and light comes streaming in. And Joseph is ushered out, and he's, and he's taken to a place where he can bathe and, and, and maybe shave, who knows, because he's then summoned into the presence of the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh of Egypt. And the Scriptures say, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And you can just hear Joseph finally going, yes, finally I'm getting some recognition. Yes, I can solve this problem for you. I'm your man. But that's not how Joseph responds. Listen to how he responds. I cannot do it. <laughs> I'm not your answer. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, but God will give Pharaoh the answer. And as we read earlier, Joseph unravels the mysterious dream. He lays out a plan for surviving the coming famine. And Pharaoh is so impressed by the humility and clarity of the character of this man. He says, I appoint you to put that plan into execution. And so Joseph is lifted into that great place of influence and the dream he was given as a 17-year-old boy comes to pass. You know, sometimes when we read stories like this in the Bible, we think, wow, what a great piece of history. As if God isn't still doing this kind of thing. But friends, God is still doing this sort of thing with the leaders to whom he gives these God-sized dreams. I, I think of a couple in our congregation, Eric and Mary Lou. They, they came into our church through their involvement with the Executive's Breakfast Club of Oak Brook, an organization, our founding pastor, and a doctor in our congregation started with a dream of being a place of influence out in the wider world. And, and Eric and Mary Lou heard about Christ Church through the Executive's Breakfast Club. They started attending here. As they attended here, they grew further in their faith, and their vision for making a difference for God in their fields of expertise began to grow. Eric had started out in life as a chemical engineer with the DuPont Company in Delaware. And over the years, the Lord had moved him on to different responsibilities, and he had become the head of Nalco Chemical Company here in DuPage County, and then the head of Univar, an international chemical company. And, and and he was working hard at those tasks. And meanwhile, all kinds of challenges were coming their way as a family. And they were being led into great struggles and hard times that deepened their dependence upon God and, 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 and opened their hearts to even greater compassion towards hurting people. And they got involved in, in a couple of the mission of Christ Church. They got plugged into Breakthrough Urban Ministry in, in the inner city of Chicago and began to volunteer their time and energies there. And, and they got connected into the work uh, that World Vision uh, has done that we've cooperated with in, in Africa. And last year they went to Africa on a trip with several other Christ Church members and went to Tanzania. And their hearts were broken by the hunger there. 
by, by, by the, um, the lack of adequate resourcing for agricultural development. And I know they came back thinking, we've got to do something. I just feel like God has given us a calling to do something. And I know they were thinking that the way we're going to do this is by giving more financial resource to help that mission. And then there was a clanking sound as a key went into a door. And suddenly a door they never expected to open flung open. And a summons came for Eric to become the chief executive officer of Syngenta, one of the world's largest suppliers of seeds and fertilizers and agricultural products for the continent of Africa. And he left for Pharaoh's chamber this week. Brothers and sisters, you do not have to become the CEO of a multi-billion dollar global company to fulfill the dream of God. God needs leaders in every single circle of life. He needs people that are willing to follow his call faithfully even when the going is hard and to trust his ultimate providence. What's the dream he's given you? Maybe he's laid on your heart a, a vision for a change in your marriage. You know, you've got a picture of what you want that marriage to be. It seems outrageous given the light of present circumstances, but, but it's there in you. Or it's a dream for your family, for what family rhythms could be reconstructed to, to, to be. Or, or, or a dream for, the, for that child that doesn't know Jesus and, and the influence that you want to still have on that child. Maybe God's given you a dream for your workplace. You see problems there. You just know it's not, you're seeing people being ground down and you know that there's a potential if we could just come together for even greater influence. You want to see us, your, your company or your organization have the kind of influence and dream that the Hiltons and the Avons and the Googles of this world have. Or maybe, maybe the dream you have is for some community organization, a nonprofit that you're working in. It could be that, that God is impressing upon a picture of the the grace and truth that you want to bring into your neighborhood or, or an under-resourced place that God has started to awaken you to. Um, God's dreams come in various ways to various people. It might even be that God's calling you to run for political office. Maybe he's stirring you up in our time. He's saying, I'm needed. People like you are needed out there in the midst of the public square in greater measure. You may have a talent you've been burying. Maybe it's a dream for somebody else that you're called to. Maybe your job right now actually is to help somebody else interpret their dreams and get clearer on them, like Joseph did in that prison cell. One of the books that I've read uh, in recent years that I uh, took today's sermon title from is entitled The Dream Manager. And, and it's the story of a, of a a leader in a business context who, who decides that the primary focus of his life is going to be on understanding the dreams of his employees. Not just their corporate and business dreams, but their personal dreams and their family dreams and their spiritual dreams. And so he, a major part of what he does with his teammates is just listen and tease out their greatest hopes and aspirations and then thought partner with them uh, where he can and resource them where he can towards the fulfillment of their dreams. 
And the amazing thing that happens is not only do these people that he is able to influence flourish as never before, the entire enterprise that he's been leading rises to a new level of performance and influence. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what it looks like for you to be a dream manager within your sphere of influence. How will you recognize that you have a dream that comes from God or that somebody else around you has got a dream that comes from God? Here's how you recognize it. It will seem outrageous in the light of present circumstances. It will seem overreaching, impossible in the light of present circumstances. It will be aimed at blessing others radically in the way that God's word is continually commending when he said, go into all the world, be fruitful and multiply, reach the ends of the earth. And it will require God's power to fulfill it. Your investment will matter, that other person's faithfulness will count, but if God is not in it, it will not be realizable. And if you can't recognize such a dream in yourself, then just ask the people around you what they're seeing, what they're dreaming of doing, and see if you can help make that vision clearer and help propel them towards that goal. Because if you pursue that course, you will, like Joseph, like Mary Lou and Eric, like that dream manager, find yourself caught up in a ripple of God's grace that may mount up into a wave larger than you ever dreamed or imagined possible. Two shoe salesmen were consigned to go to a primitive island and determine the business potential there. The first one immediately wired back, coming home immediately, no one here wears shoes. The second one wired back immediately, send a boatload of shoes immediately, the possibilities here are unlimited. How do you look at your world? What do you see? Because how you answer that question is a great part of your making as a leader. Please pray with me. And now to you who is able to abundantly do more than we could ask or imagine by your power at work within us. To you, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen.